0: If somebody told you, on New Year's Day 2020, how much the world was going to change, you probably wouldn't have believed them. But suppose you had known, what would you have done differently? How would you have prepared?
1: And what if you would even more time to prepare, say, three years? What action would you have taken? Would you have moved somewhere different? Applied for different jobs? Developed different skills? Would you have warned your friends? And do you think they'd have even believed you?
0: We can only look back now at these hypotheticals and wonder what we could have done. But here's the thing. There's another crisis heading our way, a crisis that's sure to be worse than COVID-19. It's the climate crisis. We still have time to take action, and as a result, live happier, healthier, and fairer lives. So the question actually isn't what should we have done, it's what will we do now? and how can we use our experience of covid as a wake up call to take real action
1: welcome to the covid alarm clock
0: hello everyone welcome to episode 4 of the covid alarm clock podcast this is me darwin back with ellen hegarty hello <laughs> <laughs> Um every episode we pick a different topic and draw a few parallels between the covid and climate crisis to see if we can handle the climate crisis better than we are at the moment. So what, what are we going to be talking about in this episode Ellen?
1: Well, today we are going to be talking about the power, the power. So who <laughs> I got the power. So who in in whose power does the future lie? So like for example with covid who who has the power to keep us all safe? Is it us by wearing our masks, the individuals? Or is it the government by kind of giving us a framework for action? So we're going to have a look at individual action versus kind of government or or kind of more systemic action. So when I talk about systemic action, um, you know, the people who kind of make the framework for how we live, the people who make the policy, the people who make the rules. So in whose power will it be to change, to fight climate change or to make changes?
0: Lovely. And I think without, without being too much of a cliche or ch- channeling my inner superhero, but there is that thing, uh, there is that link between power and responsibility. And that's kind of, kind of inextricable in, in what we're going to be talking about as well today.
1: A hundred percent, because not everyone with the power um, chooses to, to be responsible as yeah. well, that's another thing we have to remember there and are plenty of people with power who, who are bad, who are anti-heroes who, who are the baddies you know, the baddies
0: <laughs> um, and yeah and then and then a lot of people that will be very responsible, maybe feel like they don't actually have that much power yeah, like the individual and when we're talking about this power and the response like my power
1: to give you a Cork accent <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly like that. (laughs) Um, When we're talking about that with COVID, we saw a very clear sense of shared purpose. A sense that we were all in this together, especially in those early days in March, April, May 2020. And that's been a really important part of the action we've taken uh, with COVID.
1: Yeah, we've changed our lives so much for COVID, haven't we, Dara?
0: We have, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And it's kind of, it's almost become normal now. I mean, you'd forget like that we kind of have changed in some ways. But if if you think back to last January, February, things are very different now.
0: Yeah, Even yeah. though there
1: are new normal.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I think it's easy to forget why we have changed our lives so much for COVID. Um, but ultimately, the reason is that we're doing it all to save lives you know, we're doing it so that we can keep cases low enough that our health service can cope with the number of cases and save as many lives as possible. And often it's easy to forget that and we can just get annoyed at the number of restrictions we have and think of all the things that we can't do. But in the case of COVID, it's very, very easy to be reminded of why we're doing it because every day we get the announcement of how many cases and how many deaths we've had and we can see the relationship very clearly between having restrictions and deaths coming down and not having restrictions and and deaths going up so it's it's easy to remember it's easy to forget but it's also easy to remember why we have changed our lives so much for covid and that probably i'd say ellen isn't as clear with climate change so i'm going to ask you a big question here ellen we've changed our lives a lot for COVID. Why should we change our lives for climate change?
1: Because change is coming anyway. And we, why not be in charge of the change rather than just random change coming along and us having to accept it. So that's, that's why we should change our lives for climate change because the climate's going to change. The weather's going to change. Countries are going to have so many displaced people um, there's potentially going to be issues with food security, and why wouldn't we work now to put things in place so that a lot of that doesn't happen or that we are prepared for some of the change that will happen rather than just going Oh crap when it actually does come yeah. about
0: we still yeah we still have we still have a little bit of time on our hands, so it's to draw to draw the parallel with covid we Imagine we're back in January. Think of the things we could have done: flight restrictions, increase ICU capacity, all those things that we could have changed before COVID came to be more prepared. Um, we could and still, those those
1: preparations, yeah, that would have had long-standing benefits as well. Yeah. We would have, and you know, every we could have brought everyone along with us. We could have made, put in protocols for nursing homes, for example, or or made them safer.
0: Yeah, so, and we with with climate changes that double whammy that we we can reduce emissions to make the impacts less severe in the future and do our part. And we can also prepare, we can take actions to adapt so that when the impacts arrive, that they have less of an effect on us.
1: And I think the thing is then, the big question is like, who is the person with the power? Is it who needs to make the changes? Is it the individual or is it the, the kind of the, the people who, who have the the power to make kind of mass change, and for me, I think it's going to be both, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, so let's 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 take it back to COVID, and think of whose job it is to reduce the spread of COVID. And if you listen, especially in the last couple of weeks, and I think in the lead up to Christmas, we're recording this on the twelfth of December. Uh, there's so much talk about personal responsibility. You hear it a lot in the media. Personal responsibility personal responsibility personal responsibility and it's a bit <laughs> it's it's a bit it's I find it a little bit irritating there is obviously a huge amount that individuals can do and we all have to do our part and follow the guidelines but the system that we have puts limits on the amount that individuals can do so if we think back to March and April a lot of the big outbreaks that we had were in, direct provision centers, and meat factories. And those individuals working in meat factories, they weren't saying, ah, well, I'm just going to ignore the guidelines because I'm a bad person and I don't care about COVID. That's not what was happening. These individuals had limits kind of set on the amount of action they could take because of the conditions they were working in. And then we even heard of cases I'm not sure if it was in Ireland or the u k where there were there were managers in meat factories telling people to come in even if they had symptoms, and so people weren't even being allowed to follow the guidelines
1: uh, that's so correct, and so you have to have supports in place when you issue guidelines. You can't just tell somebody to do something but then not support them to yes. do it, yeah, but at the same time I think if if you know, Leo Varadkar and then Neffet hadn't come out in March and given us all a set of rules with which to follow, we as individuals would have perhaps all had very different views about what the right thing to do was.
0: Totally, totally. And I think that's exactly where the problem lies with climate action, because people do have different views about what the right things to do are. And we don't have that leadership or that framework in place. So as individuals, we actually need to try to find ways to help to put that framework in place. And so this is one situation really where climate and COVID are very, very different. So if we flesh that out a bit more, like the pandemic unemployment payment, that was a way of compensating people who couldn't go to work in safe conditions, that they could still survive and still had money to survive without going to work, so that there was the systems that were put in place enabled people to be able to take the individual action in a convenient way. And then in the cases where that wasn't possible, like the meat factories, we saw where sort of the power of the individual was limited and that was causing problems in relation to COVID cases. So you can see very clearly the links between the individual and the and the system. So it's yeah. the responsibility of the individuals to follow the guidelines and guidance that have been given, um, and it's the responsibility of sort of the wider political realm to put that stuff in place so that people can do it. So and yeah,
1: this the so you have to have that framework. But with the framework and with setting out rules, the absolutely, Dara, the supports are so important.
0: So, Ellen, taking what we've learned there from whose job it is to reduce the spread of COVID, whose job is it, Ellen, to stop the spread and to mitigate for climate change and adapt to climate change?
1: It's all of our job, Dara. Everybody. So I think Greta Thunberg said it. I think the IPCC has said it. I think the Secretary General of the UN, Antonio Guterres, has said it um you know every bit of warming matters every action matters so whether it's you me the irish government the un every single one of us has to work together to make our world a better place and to stop and reduce emissions and to to try and stop the, the temperatures from rising because if 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 the people in charge don't you know tell us what to do and also um tell the companies, you know, the worst emitters what to do and support us, um, we won't know what to do. But then also if we don't all work together to make changes, um, nothing's going to happen. Everyone's just going to yeah. look at everyone else and go, well, you're not doing it, so I'm not going to do it. And yeah. nothing yeah, will yeah. happen. There's a, There's like a circle. There's like the people who make the regulations and the policy. There's the individual. But then in between as well, you have people... Who I'm going to call vested interests. Yeah. So the people who are actually putting out so there's like a little circle. And so the people with the power have to tell the individuals, but also regulate the vested interests. The, pe- the 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 people like us, the individuals, we have to take our own actions but also adhere to, you know, advice and guidelines from those in power. And but also we have to feed back to vested interests as well to say, actually, what you're doing isn't okay anymore. Um, and then they have to listen to us too. We we have to to demand better from our leaders as well. Yeah, you know, and if we feel and they're not leading us,
0: that and that's a huge point because we've mentioned before about how important those speeches in the early days of COVID were, that the politicians came out and said, "Yeah, this is really bad, and this is going to have big effects, and we need to make change," and we all listened and we said, "Right, yeah." This is bad and we have to do these things. And we haven't had that with climate change yet. And that's a huge, huge problem. So if we think of all the individual things that we can do in relation to taking climate action, we are limited by the system. Just like the people working in meat factories were limited by how much they could do. So if I'm living in rural Ireland and I want to travel in an environmentally friendly way and I'm working far away... There's no public transport, so if I'm driving a car, then best case scenario is an electric car, which is better than, a, you know, a combustion engine. But it's still, it's the emissions taken to make an electric car means that it's not sustainable that we can all just switch to electric cars.
1: And we don't necessarily have the infrastructure there. In rural Ireland, either for electric cars, yeah,
0: so you can see very clearly there that this that the actions individuals can take are limited by by the system. And, and like so we, Dara,
1: like of like that is not to say that taking an individual action of buying electric car, an electric car isn't a good thing. Like it's absolutely if you're going to go out and buy a brand new car today, the superior choice for the. Cl- for climate change is obviously buying an electric car. And if we continue to make those environmentally friendly choices, Dara, you know, that actually helps to drive system change as well. So, you know, we still have power in our individual actions.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's more like imagine there were no guidelines for COVID from the government. As yeah. individuals, we could still do things like wear masks that would have a really big impact but the impact wouldn't be half as much as what we're actually experiencing now when we have that full set of measures from the government. Absolutely. And so we said the government brought in the pandemic unemployment payment and that was a really good incentive to get people to follow the rules. The incentives we have in relation to climate change and climate action, the two biggest ones I can think of are the grants for electric cars, which we've already talked about the problem with that, and... Um, grants for retrofitting and schemes for retrofitting. Uh, The problem with those, especially the electric car one, is that's only appealing to people that already have enough money to buy a new car. So if you can't afford a car, where's the incentive to you? Or if you can only afford a 15-year-old second-hand car, where is the incentive for you? And taking all this individual action... It does involve sacrifice. So if you want to use public transport in Ireland, especially in rural Ireland, even if the services are there, it's going to inconvenience you and it's going to add time onto you. So
1: yeah, yeah. you need way more time to travel by public transport if you live kind of outside of Dublin, really.
0: Yeah, So, so the systems we have at the moment are not conducive to making good individual actions. So we've talked about systemic change. You mentioned it in the intro and we've had systemic change with, uh, with COVID like so many of our systems have changed. So when we talk about systemic change in relation to climate action, we're talking about systems changing in huge ways. So far more public transport, like a shift, a modal shift away from car usage, um, Huge changes are needed to make it easier for people to take the individual actions.
1: And and like Dara, as individuals, we actually can't just sit, sit by and wait for a system change anymore. You know, we're talking about the power, the power of the individual and the power maybe to buy an electric car. But some of that power that we have, we actually need to use now to demand to fight for system change. So that is actually a really important individual action we can take. Fighting for system change.
0: Exactly. Exactly. There's uh, Greta Thunberg had a, had a new video out on the 5-year anniversary of the Paris Darren, Agreement. Do you think there's
1: a real thread of Greta Thunberg love coming through on this uh <laughs> Even there,
0: there absolutely is, but even she I does, was she on It
1: gets mention every every week.
0: <laughs> I was on a call with uh, I was on a call <laughs> uh, uh <laughs> lobbying call with Mary Lou Macdonald yesterday, uh the leader of Sinn Fein, the leader of the opposition in the Irish government. And there was someone from Antashka there, uh, Phil Kearney, and he was talking to her and he quoted Greta. <laughs> so it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing how, you know, it's not just me. It's the, there are <laughs> there are professional climate and environmentalists talking to big politicians quoting Greta, so I will, but not, you know apo- I will not apologize. you know what? actually
1: to to the power of the individual as well. Like, you know, yeah. we were just saying, like, without you know, like, as individuals, we actually do. And, and like, Greta showed me that. Like, yeah, so I also had my life changed by Greta Thunberg. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it teaches you that there are wider uh, possibilities with individual action that, okay, you can stop eating meat but you can also talk to people. You can also email your politicians. You can also try to affect the system. And the quote that Greta has said is, if you read through the best available science, you realize the climate and ecological crises cannot be solved without system change. That's no longer an opinion. It's a fact. Which I think is so powerful that basically says this thing of if we all do our part, if we all, if we all do the recycling, if we all do the recycling, if we all eat a little bit less meat, it's still not going to be enough. We need these broader changes.
1: Absolutely, Dara. Like individual action is really, really important. But unless all of that individual action is kind of going in the same direction, um, it's not going to work. And that's where system change becomes so important because it actually gives us a framework for our actions.
0: Yeah, and it makes it easy. That's the thing. It should be, we should have a system where it's easy to do the right thing.
1: The path of least resistance, Dara. Exactly. That's what we need. Yeah. Yeah. So, Derek, do you, can you... Give me an example of a specific systemic change that we could make in order to reduce emissions or to mitigate, you know, temperature rise.
0: Yeah, so I suppose you can think of sort of the carrot and stick type options. So offer an incentive and offer a deterrent for the good thing and the bad thing. So So some people have campaigned on the idea of free public transport. So if you take free public transport and then couple that with, say, a congestion charge for people that drive in into cities. So you are disincentivizing driving into a city and you are offering people a cheap or free alternative. Or
1: even free for children. Like, it would be amazing because for us to travel anywhere, it costs a fortune because we have children that we have to bring with us. And, you know, it's hard to hide them.
0: (laughs) And that sounds like that sounds like such a big deal, but that's not it's not a big ask, you know. I lived in London for a couple of years, and they had that in London: free public transport. Did they have for, free? For, do for they have children, free transport in London for, for children? For children? Yeah. So even, fantastic. Even if you were bringing kids on a school trip, or to school, you there's a form there's a form you can fill out on TfL on the on the transport thing, and you can book in a free. So say if I was bringing kids into London, you can book in, and you just have a print out and you take it on the bus you take it on the tube and you can bring bring the school kids around yeah
1: and you see, there's a hard cost to that to the exchequer. But if you think about reduction, like, but and we're talking, I know we're talking about climate change, but I think there's co-benefits to this as well. So there's kind of unintended good consequences with this systemic change. So not only have you got reduced emissions because people aren't driving their cars, you've reduced congestion, so people can yeah. get places faster. You have um, cleaner air. So you don't like, so for example, even if we all switch to electric cars, you still have a lot of particulate matter that comes off tyres yeah. um, from cars and that pollutes, that pollutes yeah. the air and you know, if you have an underlying illness like asthma or something, that will affect you so you would have like health benefits and you know talking about the co-benefits if, the, the kids in London are really lucky so they're allowed to use public transport for free um, and that becomes ingrained, that becomes a cultural thing. And so they will become used to using public transport for free and they will grow up into young adults and adults who are completely comfortable with using public transport and don't have the same expectation of car use that perhaps our generation has. And, you know, they will be happy to pay for public transport. And I think so in the long run, you will actually have A benefit to the exchequer if you can maintain a really high quality public transport and people once it's affordable will be happy to pay for it
0: yeah 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 totally and I think taking that long term view you know let's talk about cycling rather than public transport and in Ireland people are like oh "Oh, could that could never that could never happen Amsterdam could never happen if you see pictures of Amsterdam 40-50 years ago the place is full of cars cars. and it was this decision that right we're going to change that and they changed it, and now cycling in a city is synonymous with Amsterdam. But it took that. It took that le- real leadership, real real leadership, and a leap
1: of faith as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and we're seeing that on the back of COVID in Paris, they have committed, and in, to,
1: and in South County Dublin.
0: But uh, no offense to South <laughs> County George Dublin, but, but in Paris, <laughs> in Paris, they've committed to reducing the car traffic in the city by half and they are reclaiming the streets and turning them into parks and turning them into pedestrianized areas that they've used this, they've used COVID as their chance to say, right, let's let's make our air cleaner, let's make our people healthier, let's reduce our climate impact.
1: And that's just—it sounds amazing. And I think have they made a decision as well that you should be able to get everywhere within fifteen minutes, so that they've kind of got these.
0: The fi- I think that's the, hubs I mean, as well. That's, is that an- yeah, I mean, when we're when we're talking about the systemic change, that's the ultimate aim. Is that you know, in terms of taking climate action to live better lives, the dream is the fifteen minute city that you can get to your school, you can get to your work, you can get to all the amenities you need within a fifteen minutes radius. Ellen, one, one difference in terms of taking action with climate change and COVID. Obviously, there's the systemic stuff. Also with climate change, there is that feeling of guilt. You know, if you decide to change your behavior, then you've kind of, to acknowledge, oh, I've been doing all this stuff oh, in yeah. the past that has not been good for the planet. And I think that is a real barrier that we haven't had that big announcement from the government Mm. and the power saying things are bad. So you can actually say, well, nobody's told me not to do this. And I don't want to feel bad about having done it in the past. So I'm just going to keep doing it. And that's not and then, something we've had with COVID. It is an there's obstacle. There's a feeling of
1: being a total hypocrite as well, you know, because I could be out there going, okay, people, it's a really bad idea to fly. And like I teach a lot of young adults and um, sometimes I'm there going, you know, flying is a really bad idea. Um, and then in the same breath, I, I might be telling them how, oh, I've been to Africa, I've been to India, I've been to Australia. And I mean, yeah. you know, but you can't. You <laughs> know, I'm pulling the, you know, like, like that's... Yeah. and. I yeah, I feel like crap because I've, oh, it's, it's fine because I got to do it. But now, you know, you can't. And actually, th- there's a bigger thing there even with, with climate change and, and social justice and, and people who yeah. live in, in the global south. So people who live in the global south, south of the equator, there's a lot of countries that are kind of developing. And I think there, there's a kind of a similarity there in that we've all managed to pull ourselves out of poverty We've all managed to reach a really good standard of living, but people in developing countries haven't. And do we say to them, "Okay, guys, um, we've used up all of the carbon budget. We want to keep using emissions to keep on going as we can for as long as we can." You guys, though, who maybe want to pull yourselves out of poverty, can't because well, we need the we need to we need to keep the carbon. Emission budget yeah. for ourselves, and
0: it's a huge. There's a few things you've a few things you've touched on there that are huge yeah. <laughs> in terms of the in terms of the hypocrisy. I think you just have to accept it. Do you know? I think you can't use hypocrisy as an obstacle for taking action. Uh, you just have to accept that you can't do everything. You can't do everything right.
1: Because you always see that, you know, people wanting to troll the child strikers or anyone who's striking. Oh, did your mother drive you in in a car? Oh, you're wearing like a puffer jacket made of plastic, you know. Um, And it's like, you know, we can't all go around and like weave our old clothing from nettles. We can't wait until we've reached that point yeah. where, you know, we've, we've made our shoes from the recycling bin and we've weaved our clothes from nettles to be able to then say, OK, now I can be a climate activist. We have to accept that we are all imperfect climate activists. Yeah. It's better to do something imperfectly. And wait till we're perfect.
0: Yeah, and I think we have to accept that there are big obstacles in the way that the world we're living in works at the moment, and that the act that change needs to come to make it easier for people to not have to wear the puffer jackets or get dropped to school <laughs> by their parents. Um yeah, yeah. In terms of the climate justice, Alan, then that's a huge thing for me in terms of whose job it is to take responsibility that if if Everyone in the world was living with the carbon footprints that we had in Ireland, even for one year. So our carbon footprints are around, I think, 11 tons per person per year, roughly. In some countries, people's emissions will be a tenth of that. Um, So it is the job of developed countries who are emitting a lot per capita to take the lead to take the example to decarbonize their societies because if we don't we're telling other countries, yeah, it's grand, get up get up to the le- emissions levels of us because, well, we're doing it, so why can't you? And that is a recipe for disaster because we can't, we just can't afford that.
1: But what about China, Dara? We're only a small country. <laughs> what about China? Oh, that is
0: the- Once again, China's emissions <laughs> are less than half of ours per capita. So if China, if Chinese people were living the same lifestyles as us, then a billion people's carbon footprints would double, maybe triple. And that is like, that's a huge part of the carbon budget, the remaining carbon budget just blown. So this, what about China? It's one of the, it really irks me so, so much. Um, if you care about China, if you want to do the what about China, make sure you don't buy any Chinese stuff, and then stop <laughs> talking about it. But, yeah, really, really, really annoys me. Um, what about what about China?
1: Yeah, I think it comes back to that we are all responsible, and and we yeah. all have to take and that's, responsibility. And it's such,
0: and it's such, it's such a, it's such a cap out. It's such a. Cop and I out. think we
1: all have to accept as well. Like we are so privileged. And sometimes the price of that privilege as well, you know, like getting in your car to drive an hour to work, you know, putting your children in a crash at seven in the morning, and yeah. somebody hopefully racing back to get them at six in the evening, you know, buying ready meals because you don't have time to cook um, the dinner, yeah, 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 like, kind of, yeah. You know, could we do more with less? Could we do part,
0: better? But that's also part of the system change, Ellen. That's, that's the that's the system that people are living in that's like you're expected, you can't afford to buy a house near where you work because you work in the city centre. So the way things work, the system with house prices dictates you have to move far away. And then because you move far away, you have to drive for an hour. And that's all that all that needs to change. We need to have these communities where you can live and work, you know, around the same place and then that as well as being a huge thing in terms of climate action you are having a much better life where you're not stuck in a car for two hours and you can like spend it with your family or yeah you know or get to
1: know your neighbors that was amazing about covid like (laughs) like, getting to know all the neighbors it was just super yeah it was really cool
0: um
1: so, yeah, so th- we don't necessarily lose quality by losing privilege, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, for sure. We for don't sure. have to
1: go back and live in a cave and never wash our clothes again in order to fight.
0: You still wash them twice a year. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, that's, that is <laughs> That is a joke, Just just to be clear.
1: <laughs> and to come back to Greta, like, it is a fact that we need system change to tackle climate change. So like some of these things it might seem very airy-fairy us rabbiting on about system change but like that's actually what we need and we, we know now that huge change is possible like COVID has taught us that huge change is possible and we need to be pushing for that because we, we need it we won't, we won't get there without it So, Dara, do you think everyone wants the same thing from the COVID response? So when the government comes out of a Friday evening or a Thursday evening with the list of latest regulations, is everyone looking to have the same regulation? Is there a commonality in what people are expecting and desiring?
0: Um, So I think it's been really surprising that in the last couple of weeks, you know, Surveys have come out, and a huge percentage of people in Ireland were in favor of the level five lockdown. It was something like 60 or 70 percent, and then another 10% felt it didn't go far enough that we should have had you know stronger measures. So
1: because we kind of with schools were open, work was pretty much open, non-essential shops were open.
0: um, Yeah, and I think so. I think the general public have really bought into this sense of shared purpose that we talked about at the start. From those surveys, it's really clear, actually, that the people understand the problem and understand what they can do to fix it and want to be enabled to do this. But we don't always hear that view being discussed by politicians or being discussed by the media. We do hear... Keep you know, the economy
1: th- open! <laughs> yeah, yeah open
0: the pubs yeah open the pubs people or need to drink get, get the planes get the planes back in the air get
1: the planes back in the air everyone and, needs to get on a plane and now. and then
0: hearing these people talking uh, there was an airline CEO or an, an airline union representative talking about people's mental health and it was it was just you know it's quite disingenuous it's like you just you just want the planes back and you want you want the money um please please stop but so I think to answer the question Ellen I think the general public do have bought into this sense of shared purpose, but there are people trying to shift the measures to really just sort themselves out in the short term, you know, like getting the pubs open. And I guess the normality is good for people, but long-term for the economy, it's probably not the best thing. The best thing would be let's really eradicate the virus and and then get things open permanently sooner, um, which is changing with the vaccine anyways. Yeah. But it does give us a good insight, Ellen, into, I suppose, the big question of does everyone want the same thing from climate action?
1: Uh, no. So, so while you and I may, may have our own desires for, you know, a cleaner, better world with reduced emissions, um, Dara, like there's a huge issue with vested interests. There's a huge body of people out there that just want to keep on making money. And they don't care what they have to burn or what they have to dig up or what they have to destroy or what they have to pollute to do that. And they have a big voice. Um, so, for example, there's this two lads over in the States. They've passed on now, but called the Cock Brothers.
0: Not Cork Actually. Brothers
1: now, but Cock <laughs> Brothers. The,
0: the Langer Brothers, as they're known in Cork. <laughs>
1: But they are, they are the Langer brothers, I swear to God. Um, they cocked it up for us because back in the eighties, the oil companies, for example, Exxon Mobile, they knew, they had scientists, they employed like top class scientists who predicted pretty much exactly what was going to be happening right now. Emissions were going to be rising, extreme weather events, climate change. And rather than take that knowledge, take what they knew and say, okay. We are destroying the planet. We need to do something about this. They took that knowledge and went, okay, how can we make this so fuzzy that we can muddy the water so much that people will actually question this science as opposed to accept it? And And they pumped millions and millions and millions of dollars into keeping things going, keeping business as usual. Let's just keep on keeping on. And that is wrong.
0: But there are, and it it's not even just restricted to fossil fuel companies. There are lots of people who are happy with the money they are making, as things are, and they don't want this systemic change. So they create fear and they make people think that that climate change or climate action is going to be bad for them. Climate action climate is not going, a to be pack of communists. Yeah. Act- going to be bad. But climate if you think climate action is <laughs> going to be bad, wait for climate change, because that's going yeah. to be way worse. And that, and uh, like the Cock brothers that you mentioned, Alan, like they're a really, really extreme example. Like the level of denial, like the denial that people are engaged in is really on a sliding scale. Like there are some companies people like the Cock brothers who are willfully destroying the environment that don't care and just care about making the money. But then there are other companies that aren't aware of how much damage they might be causing. There are companies who want to make change but can't afford it or are locked into very carbon intensive systems. There are politicians who are well-intentioned but don't really understand how bad things are. There are others who just don't care about making the tough decisions we need and want to get re-elected. And all of these combined then leads to this sort of inertia and lack of action that we're seeing. Uh, you see it as well in agriculture. like It's such a broken model, that's somewhere else where there could be huge systemic change, because at the moment, grants and cap the the agricultural policy from the EU is pumping money into beef, where... The emissions are bad. Farmers aren't even making any money out of it. But the middlemen and the people with the meat factories and the exporters and that kind of stuff are making loads of money. So they keep it. They want to keep it the same. So they are then trying to convince farmers that, oh, climate action will be really bad for you. When in actual fact, if those grants were redirected, then farmers could be actually living much more profitable lives and helping the climate at the same time. And I think I think even just being aware of those vested interests and, and you know, basically that there are people that are happy out who are making enough money that they feel it's worth wrecking the planet. Um, and they are the people who are trying to, I guess, almost convince people that climate action is bad, but climate action is nothing compared to what climate change is going to bring. Well, I
1: mean, we're we're living in the Garden of Eden. I mean, David Attenborough said, like the, the planet, the world we live in is like the Garden of Eden. And it always reminds me of, you know, I don't know, any Catholics in the house. Um, there's this one where they talk about um there's this thing you say after the rosary, and it's like weeping and mourning in the valley of tears. And that's what I keep thinking. Like, we're heading towards the weeping and mourning in the valley of tears. And we we've been we're being cast out of the Garden of Eden. And it's like we could we don't have to. We can. We can have our Garden of Eden if we yeah. just change it a bit.
0: The Pope actually has a new book out about about living better lives um, in terms of nature and stuff like that. In terms of saving the planet, I uh, yeah, brilliant. I uh, I link it, Auntie. I saw it and I was like, oh geez. But well, it takes
1: everyone. It takes it like does. it takes the Catholics. It takes the individuals. It takes the. <laughs> it takes. Catholics are Catholics not
0: individuals, Ellen?
1: It takes no. <laughs> No, it takes everybody Catholics, um, Muslims, you know, <laughs> women, fathers, commuters, everyone, everyone needs to do it. Leaders, we all need, we all need
0: Millwall supporters.
1: What, Millwall supporters, absolutely.
0: <laughs> um, Ellen.
1: Even Aston Villa. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Aston Villa, it takes all the corner forwards from all the junior B Gaelic football teams <laughs> in Ireland. <laughs> it takes, it takes everyone that's ever bought a lucky bag in their lives.
1: <laughs> it takes people who like vegemite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It takes the Australians.
0: It does. It does. Um, right, Ellen. What can all these so, <laughs> uh, what can all these diverse people do? What action can you take? Um,
1: okay, so like we, um, we all need to look at our own sphere of influence. So, what power do we have in our own community, um, to bring about systemic change? And when I'm talking about communities, you know, it, that could be your neighborhood community, it could be like, for example, I'm part of a children's sports club community so my, the, my my kids play gaa sport irish sport and um like the gaa is this group that is just
0: all, all over, over ireland, ireland. Yeah.
1: yeah they're huge and um you know so like potentially that that's huge influence and i'm just a mam like with some kids playing gaa but what i did was i actually went into the local academy the committee who organizes the the kids academy in the in the local club And um, like you're talking in our club now, it's a big club, you're hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children. So they actually have a huge, you know, impact if you can change behaviours. And I just did a presentation about the carbon footprint, climate justice, what measures we can take as a club to change our impacts. And um, they actually listened to me. And you know <laughs> and and they made you know they went about making change which which is amazing, and uh, like I'm in WhatsApp groups as well, like I'm in an allotment WhatsApp group, and yeah, or like I'd be throwing out like messages there about Pete Compost or whatever, and you know the James or this using... podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I think Um, everyone just like dies inside when they see a message come in from me at the moment. I'm like the the spam queen. Oh, God. Sorry um, to everyone who's on my phone book. But but yeah, but you're dead. You're dead
0: right, though. Like everyone, everyone, everyone's involved in some communities and it's about it's about looking looking at the communities you're involved in and, and the power that those communities have to help to bring about this system change.
1: And, like, don't underestimate your own power, you know? And, yeah. like, even if you only change the behavior of two people out of 100, pot- potentially you've lodged a little seed of an idea in 10 or 15 other people. And they might not exactly. change today, but they might change in yeah. the future.
0: And the more people change, the easier it is for other people to change, which is part of, which really shows clearly the link between individual and systemic action. Um, yeah. And then there are loads of community groups that you can join if you're really interested in the environmental you know, in environmental action, aren't there?
1: Absolutely. So, like, there's Fridays for Future. There's Parents for Future. There's Friends of the Earth. There's Stop Climate Chaos. Yeah. Um,
0: there's Extinction Rebellion, which, you know, their whole thing is, is about system change, which might have seemed outlandish. Hopefully it doesn't seem as outlandish after this episode. <laughs> then there's, like, the Irish Wildlife Trust, Birdwatch Ireland... Um, farming for nature there's Irish doctors for the environment, and there are loads of local you know action groups or environmental groups, yeah, and all these things are important like, that like put your put your time and your money where you can to to help bring about this system change that we need
1: yeah, because we have we have power we have power to change
0: the system um, and for me, a couple of things that came up in this episode. That are worth just reframing as an action. Just try to get over the guilt, if that is holding you back, because that definitely I definitely struggled with that for a while. Um, just, just sort of acknowledge it and move on. That's something that definitely held me back for a while, and there was that fear that well I've done all this stuff, so who am I to be taking action? And actually, that's not the, that's not the right way to do it. It's like well now I know. And I know what I can do. So I'm going to do what I can. And linked to that is just accept the hypocrisy. You are going to be a hypocrite when it comes to climate action. There's no way to be completely perfect. There's no way to know everything. So all you can do is keep learning. Keep trying your best. And don't let the guilt or the hypocrisy hold you back. And one one analogy for me on this is people that try to give up smoking. If you give up smoking for a while... And then you go to a party and you start smoking again. After, after you've smoked, if you tell a friend, "Oh Jesus, I, I'm back on the cigarettes now," your friends aren't going to say as if you, you know, as if you were say you've been cycling for a while and then you use the car. And someone would be like, oh, I knew, I knew you wouldn't keep lasting <laughs> with the cycling." Once it got cold in the winter, people don't do that if you're giving up smoking. They're not going to be like, oh, "I knew you wouldn't be able to keep off the fags." <laughs> Um. so I think you know really acknowledge that when you're taking action don't see it as like a, I always have to do the right thing always think of it as something like that that you're making an effort sometimes the effort might slip and you just get back at it so I oh, guess Dara, developing that's, that,
1: that's a really lovely thought because I, I, I do be very hard on myself at times when I don't
0: and I think, I'm yeah, not perfect I, think, all the time. I think for me, it's worse when you hear, you know, it might even be someone you don't know. And when you hear these snide comments of like, you'd be like, oh, I've done this. I've been off meat for a few months and they'd be like, oh, but do you still, do you still drive a car or whatever? You know, those kind yeah. of things. And I think, yeah. I think if you, if you reframe that as, I think the giving up smoking is a good one because people are so yeah. supportive and in the absence of that support, you can sometimes You know, lose heart. So I would just say, just keep at it, see it as a process and keep trying it. And then the other thing on that is sometimes you are going to do something that has a high carbon footprint. And my view on that is, well, if it has a high carbon footprint, make sure you enjoy it and appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know? And that is even by adding that value. You know, so if you're getting on a plane and you know that it's bad. Well, just think, well, Jesus, I'm so lucky to be able to be going here. I'm aware of the emissions, but I value this so, so much. And that is an important part as well. Even just adding that value. You know, at least the least you can do (laughs) if you have a high carbon footprint is appreciate the things. Definitely don't do something you hate (laughs) that has a high carbon footprint. (laughs) Because you're doing nobody any good.
1: And actually, you know, you're talking about clapping someone on the back for giving up the smoking. That's another wonderful action you could do is if you see someone cycling, just go fair play to you. Tell them they're great. Spread the happiness. Yeah,
0: I mean, I always always do that in my head. Do you know when you cycle past somebody and you're like, ah, we're great, aren't we? (laughs) Maybe I should start telling them. Yeah.
1: Shout hello! I kind of I cycle through my local park, and uh, there's a kind of a question mark as to whether we should be cycling through the park. So <coughs> I'm always there, shouting big happy hellos to everyone and ringing my bell so they won't go out oh, there. She is again illegally cycling through the park. <laughs> I think they just think I'm this mad one on a bicycle. They avoid me. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of the COVID Alarm Clock was written and presented by Darwin and Ellen Hagerty. It was produced and edited by Robert Cotter.
0: Please follow us on social media for up-to-date news on the podcast and the climate crisis. We are on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at COVID Alarm Clock.
1: And tune in next week when our episode will be on the subject of media. Until then,
0: bye! Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye bye. 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 bye to the Bill of Waterford. Bye, <laughs> Aston Villa. Bye, Corner Forwards. <laughs> bye, Jimmy. Bye, Australia. Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye.
1: No, you hang up. <laughs> <laughs>